Well, uh, good afternoon again. Hope you're all doing okay. I don't know about you, but there are times when I feel I know that there's someone who's having a worse week than I am. Sepp Blatter, for example, uh, has had a particularly uh, unfortunate week, hasn't he? Um, It's been, yeah, this stuff has been all over the TV, shocking some people and other people just saying, oh, I told you so. Uh, The FBI have systematically gone after the the scandal, using evidence to go from smaller fish to go after the big fish, and uh, the media have had have had a field day, and I think that putting the case aside for a moment, and who did what, and all those kind of things, I think that there's something very much in how the media has responded and how we have felt when we've been reading that story that says a lot about authority in the 21st century, or at least the 21st century. Western world Um, we're not always too good at it are we too often we see authority and authority figures as suspicious or as oppressive we question authority and sometimes we reject it or or we don't uh, respect it in the way that we should and instead we want to focus on what we believe we are entitled to what we are focused on is, is our rights, whatever those rights are, our customer rights, our human rights, the fact that we are right, the fact that somebody else isn't right. Too often we, we kick back against authority. And to be fair, when you look at something like the FIFA allegations, um, you can say, well, I understand why, why people do that. But I think these attitudes are towards authority pervade the relationships in, in, our, in our household as well as in other places as well. So let's see what God has got to say on the subject. Now just to be clear, if you're here and you are not married, this is not a time to kick back and to tune out. There's plenty of applications and things going on here for us all as well. So uh, we're going to think about uh, the idea of motivation you know we're doing a, a series called Motivated in the second half of Ephesians and we're going to think about what that is in terms of marriage and particularly this will just give you a sense of, of some of the things we're going, to, we're going to talk about let's just pray and we'll dig into the word Heavenly Father uh, you are a God who has told us everything we need to know uh, sometimes those things are things we're very familiar with Sometimes perhaps they are things we don't often hear about from the Bible. Whichever it is, Lord, for for us here today, Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak into our hearts, that you would uh, be very clear uh, in your teaching on what we should take away with us today from here. Amen. Um, We're just going to go back a verse to verse 21 in Ephesians there, uh, which says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in actual fact, in in many ways, that passage, that verse belongs to both what's become in front of it and what has come after it. In one way, it's the last instruction on this section about living a Christian life filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's a command that we should uh, live our lives in such a way that, that everyone who makes up the church should be submitting our lives to each other as we, as we live out this Christian life together. 
John chapter 13, Jesus says this command to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And this is part of that process of of loving one another. Paul is uh, reiterating that command from Jesus. But then he breaks off because he realises, oh man, I've just said that that about them to the church and how the church is supposed to love each other and and submit to each other, but, but that really applies to family life as well. That really applies to a lot of the relationships. I need to, to uh, talk about that. And so he breaks off and heads off to apply that idea of submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. And he's, he's going to do that uh, for the subjects we're covering over the next three weeks. So that, that one verse, if you like, overarches what we're going to be talking about with husbands and wives today but also what Ian is going to look at next week, which is parents and their children, and also what John is going to look at in terms of uh, the world of work. Remember, at this point, the world of work was really based around the house most of the time. Um, So without stealing any of Ian or Jai's thunder, hopefully, let's just look about this word submission for a minute and think about that because this is going to underpin everything we do. And normally we don't get a lot into uh, the original Greek, uh, whoever he was, the original Greek of the text, but uh, the Greek is the language that the Bible was written in, this part of the Bible. And it's important because sometimes when it's translated into English or other language, the words don't quite match up. The words don't quite mean what we always interpret them to mean. And certainly this passage is one that suffers from that. Uh, quite a lot I think so the word there submit in verse 21 uh, the best sort of illustration for that 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 I have is a military one if you imagine a if you imagine a sergeant submitting to a captain in the army uh, arranging himself or herself under under the leadership of the captain that is what that, that word submission here is, is talking about uh, in, in that sort of way. It does not mean it does not mean surrendering yourself to someone. It does not mean being a slave to someone. It does not mean being a doormat to someone. It, it does not meet any of those words at all. It, it also means something that is, is voluntary. It doesn't mean something that's forced. It doesn't mean something that's manipulated. It doesn't mean something that is coerced. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, not for other reasons. And yes, that is countercultural. Whether in the home or in the workplace or even in the church, our Western society says. You are entitled, you stand on your rights, it's all about you. You are the centre of your life. Do not submit, demand, do not feel compassion, exploit, do not admit mistakes. Give spin instead, don't forgive people, prosecute. Do not love people, get what you can get. You're right, they must be wrong. And even if they are right, don't necessarily admit it. 
anyone exerting authority. Too often we see as a fool or incompetent or just wrong. The people who are in charge, we're the people in charge. We're the ones who are in charge. We have our rights. We should question and view with suspicion authority. And sadly we see that attitude in in governments, in schools, and in hospitals, and in churches, and yes, sometimes in our homes. And yes, as I said, there are times and reasons when that distrust of authority, when people have made mistakes, and we all make mistakes, or when someone's been negligent, and too often people are negligent, there are reasons why people feel that way. And accountability, yes, is very important. But I think there is a big difference between accountability and mistrust. I forget which author said it, but too often, uh, this author said too often, when we say we're looking to trust someone, what we're actually looking for is certainty that the other party will never make a mistake. Trust means knowing the possibility that the other party may let you down and accepting that. But this... This attitude has meant that people are, I think, less prepared to take on positions of authority in our world, or where they do, they feel scared or restricted in how they use that authority. And I think, more importantly, thinking about this spiritually, I think that all the people involved in that miss out on what God has intended for us. Those in authority and those submitting to that authority are both trouble and unfulfilled and miss out on what God has designed for the world. And this verse 21 here illustrates the opposite to that, that we are in actual fact supposed to submit to one another. God calls those in the church to submit to him and to each other in love. And he knew that was going to be difficult and he knew that was going to be against our self-centred nature. So, to make that possible, he gave us the example of Jesus. He is the mo- and he's the model for all of our lives, isn't he? He's the, he's the model for everything we do. Jesus submitted to the Father, and he did it perfectly. He came to the will of the Father, and he did it perfectly. And yet, he also at times exerted great authority over, over others, and, and over nature, and other things, and he did that perfectly as well let me just read you from Hebrews very quickly this is from Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 4 let me just flick over there therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. Here you can see that Jesus, although he submitted to the will of the Father, had great joy 
when he was doing that. His motivation for both the submission to the Father and the use of his authority was the love and the, the kind of things we've been reading about in the first three chapters of Ephesians since, since September. This is why he did it, because of who God is and what he has done. And without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to do any of that stuff to, to the satisfaction of God. So having thought a little bit about verse 21 there, the idea of submitting to each other and all, all that stuff covers, as I said, the next, next couple of weeks. Let's get into this particular passage in verse 22, talking about husbands and wives. <clears throat> and so um, Paul uh, is going to kick off and he talks about wives first. He says there, verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, not just to anyone. And then he also gives the motivation, the reason why, why we're doing this. He compares the position of the husband in the family to the position of Christ and the church. And so uh, it's not just a command out of, uh, out of nowhere there is a motivation around this, there is something that you are comparing that to. And then he goes on, he reiterates the, the, uh, the command again, uh, just adding the fact there that submitting to your husband in everything again how much is involved in everything everything is involved in everything but again remember how we talked about the word submit this is not about uh, <clears throat> being a subservient or, or anything like that being a, a doormat or anything like that uh, Christ and his church are joined together as one body just as a husband and a wife are sidebar to husbands at this point husbands in the room husbands listening to this that word the husband is the head of the wife is a statement of fact okay it is not something to go and do okay the, 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 when you look into the language of that uh, if you go home and say to your wife I am the head of this body you will get what you deserve okay and uh, it will probably be quite painful and that's fine. Okay? Um, don't read your spouse's post. Okay? This, this, this part of the letter is, is, a, is a piece of, is a little letter addressed to the wives. Husbands, you don't need to understand about it. Your bit's coming in a minute. Okay? This is addressed to the wives. Okay? Um, and what do you, what do you, when you read the, those verses 22 and 23 and 24, what, what kind of picture do, does it conjure up of a woman? What kind of picture does it conjure up of a wife? Uh, someone who is meek and quiet, perhaps? Let's go to another part of the Bible. Will you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31? Uh, this has a... Uh, a description of a godly woman right at the end here of, of Proverbs and it starts off in verse 10 um, starts off a wife of noble character uh, let me just read that to you a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value she brings him good not harm all the days of her life 
She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hands, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. To be clear, this is not a set of commands, this is a a picture that is being painted. It is a word picture uh, to give you the idea of uh, this woman, this wife of noble character. Let me just point out a couple of things in here. Just keep, keep there in Proverbs. Um, okay, she buys food and clothing and does things that uh, our society maybe some years ago thought as being traditionally. Uh, but also she goes out and she buys a field in verse 16. She's a business owner, verse 18, and verse 24. She works with the poor, verse 20. So again, this is somebody who is not just perhaps what we might imagine when we read for the first time, verses 22, 23, and 24. She's not necessarily some Victorian idea of a lady. We don't necessarily have to read into the the Bible from our own culture in that way. Well, what does it look like in practice for a wife in the 21st century? Sorry, I'm not qualified to tell you that, uh, nor should I. Uh, There are, if you look around this congregation, there are a number of great godly women who can instruct us and tell us what that means in practice. Uh, I'm not going to read Denise's post. This is something that she can talk to and uh, teach on herself. This is one of those passages where the detail is going to be best taught by women. Let me just turn and read you from the book of Titus. Talk amongst yourselves. Titus chapter 2. And this is a really important verse. This is a really important concept. Let me, let me read it for you. Um, likewise, Teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind 
and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So you can see there an instruction from God that this kind of uh, practical consideration of what it means to be a godly wife is best taught by godly wives. And praise God, we have quite a number of those in our church. Um, So, can I encourage you younger wives and you younger women to go and talk to the older wives and older women in our congregation? They will be able to tell you what this means in practice, working this out. One last point for wives here. I've got got behind myself here. Let me be totally clear. This passage does not mean wives are to tolerate abuse of any kind at all to them or their children. That is not what this passage says. That is not what this is about. In a situation like that, that has turned abusive, get away from that situation immediately to a place of safety. If you do not know where that such a place is, please contact one of the church leaders here and we will try to get you to such a place. Please, this is not... That is not what this passage says. In fact, when you read the instructions to husbands, it would be clear that if husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church, that rules out anything abusive or threatening. It is utterly contrary to what this command says. Well, talking about husbands, let's go on and look at uh, husbands and God's instructions to husbands. Uh, One of my friends said that this is how we know that men did not make up the Bible. Okay, if men had made up the Bible, this instruction would be a little bit watered down, I feel. Uh, This is why we know it came from God. Okay? Um, The role of husbands is to, the instruction there, the command is to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, to love a wife like Christ in the church is to sacrifice everything. That is 99.5% of the time not talking about throwing yourself in front of a speeding bullet uh, directed as your wife. You're not talking about that kind of sacrifice, although if you have to do it, okay, Uh, This is talking about, and I'm preaching to myself here, this is talking about dying to yourself every day kind of sacrifice. It's putting your wife's needs, not necessarily your wife's wants, but your wife's needs before your own, in little ways as well as big ways, every day, on day one or on day 8,381. Anyone want to guess why I chose 8,381? That's how long I've been married to Denise. I think. <laughs> um, sounds like a big number, doesn't it? Um, being involved enough to know what she needs, even if that means that what she really wants you to do is to shove off down the shed for a while and leave her in peace for a couple of hours. God explains why husbands are to love their wives. And he gives two reasons. Okay? We're called, he's already said in, verse, in, in, in John chapter 13 and here in verse 21 we're supposed to 
love each other as brothers and sisters, but in this case, for husbands loving wives, it has a particular purpose. And that is so that our wives uh, can move towards becoming holy and blameless. We're not the only ones who are going to work on that, of course, but that's the aim of our love. So our wives may become holy and blameless. Secondly, if a husband and wife are truly one flesh, and they are, then, as it says there, you know, Paul, Paul is giving another example. He says, hey, who hated their own body? You feed and you care for your own body. need to love your wife and look after your wife uh, to care for them with that sort of attention in the same way. Notice it does not say something like exercise your headship. Uh, It does not say something like throw your weight about. It says sacrifice your life to your wife. This love is not an emotional response. This love is not a physical response. This love is an act of will. It is a choice that husbands make. And verse 31 then, uh, if you look at verse 31 there, uh, in Ephesians, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's actually from Genesis. That's actually Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And this has been God's design for marriage from the start, from the Garden of Eden. What he's showing us is that this marriage points to Christ and that this is his church and um, that that has always been one of his purposes now I'm not sure what you're thinking or feeling at this point again this is a passage that as I was saying that has often been uh, misinterpreted sometimes deliberately God's outline here of the relationship between, between husband and wife I think is radical is, is very different to what we have experienced today in our 21st century western world but let me raise some other quick points for you nowhere does it say in this passage nowhere does it say that men and women are not equal in God's sight It does not say that. Just because some people are treated differently does not mean that that is inequality. Equality does not mean treating people the same. Equality, in fact that's often inequality. What it means is treating people with equity. We are all equal in God's sight. We all bear his image, however, however imperfectly. We all have, when an angel, if an angel were to look at us, that angel would see, however dimly, some part of God and some part of God's image. But we are different. Obviously, God has designed men and women differently. And he's given us, as we can see here, different instructions So whether that's in the home or whether that's in the church, God has designed us all with different roles. Although we are all commanded to love our brothers and our sisters and submit to all of our brothers and sisters, that's what verse 21 there says in Ephesians. 
God has given special emphasis on these two gender roles for husbands and wives. So, for example, that is why only men are elders in our church, because we believe that that is what the Bible says about who does the teaching and the preaching in church. God has given us different roles to play. Whether you're talking about in the family, whether you're talking about in church. God has not designed the relationship in marriage to be restrictive or unfulfilling. In fact, what he designed is the opposite. The marriage that's lived out in this way is deeply satisfying and joy-filled. It's the best that God has for us. In our own marriage, our greatest problems have come when I have not loved Denise as Christ loved the church. I've been too busy loving myself. Likewise, my greatest joy has been when I have tried to do this to the best of my ability, imperfect though that is, not good enough though that is. I've been happiest when I've been fulfilling this command and unhappiest when I've not been fulfilling it. And I suspect that is true of many marriages. And there we can see a bigger point, and that is that fulfilling God's commands brings joy. And we believe that God has created man and woman to complement each other, whether you're talking about in the home or church or, or that sort of stuff. When I say complement each other, by the way, I'm not talking about, I pet you've had a lovely haircut. It's not that kind of compliment. I mean to, to uh, complement each other. To support each other. To, so uh, one of you is good at one thing, one of you is good at another thing. And together you make a great team. That's what I mean by Compliment. Men and women were designed for different roles in order to complement each other. Yes, we're different. We know, we know from Corinthians that although we're part of one body, it says in Corinthians uh, there are many parts but one body, you know, we can't all be eyes and ears. That's true in our home, that's true in our church, it's true in our marriages. All of those places have Christ as the head. Did you know there were three people in your marriage? I'm not talking about the lady Diana thing. There's three people in your marriage. There's you. No, hold on, I can't do that. There's, yeah, there's you. I was going to say there's you and your... There's you and there's your spouse and there is God. Okay? There are three people in your marriage, not two. When you draw close... If you imagine a triangle, if you imagine a triangle with God at the top, husband at one side and wife at the other side on the base, if you draw closer to God you draw closer to your spouse because you go up the triangle. I may have to draw that for you later. Um, but bear in mind, all those instructions there in verse, in, in that second part of Ephesians 5 have no relevance if Christ didn't come and die. Jesus came to earth from heaven Yes, he came in submission to his Father's will and he lived a perfect life. It was a perfect life in part because he was totally submitted to what God wanted him to do. And at times, yes, he used authority that God had given him over creation and over demons and over people. And in death he showed what perfect submission looked like and what radical love looked like. When he rose from the death, he obtained the right and, yes, the authority to make these demands on us. The fact that he rose from the death said, yes, God is right and he is good. 
the fact that he rose from the dead, says to us, sin no more. Do not do this stuff anymore. Follow me. Follow my commands. Put aside your society's reliance on independence and self-centeredness and follow me instead. Well, I don't want us to miss out on a couple of other uh, applications here. Uh, just to round off that I think we should look at and be aware of. Um, how Paul describes a marriage here means that because it's a deliberate image of Christ and the church, that our marriages are not private. Our marriages are not private things because they are a picture to the world of Christ and his church and how they relate to each other. They're public, they reflect on Christ and on God. What it also means, because it has that value to society, what it also means is that the devil hates marriages. He absolutely hates marriages. And he attacks marriages because he knows it's a really good way of attacking the church. He has learned over a long period of time that a great way to undermine the mission of the church is to attack marriages. He knows it's effective. And you know that from the start. You know, in, in, as we said, Genesis chapter 2 was all about um, what God's design for marriage was. And so I think it's also helpful when we, when we can see what marriage is supposed to be when we think about the current debate in, in civil society about what marriage is. Now that's a whole topic for another sermon, but let me just very briefly say this, that, that our definition of marriage comes from the Bible, because he invented it. He has said what it is, and he's designed it to fulfil us in a good and positive way. One pastor who struggled himself with same-sex attraction said this, he said that same-sex marriage is like Christ marrying Christ or the church marrying the church. They don't show that relationship. They don't show what marriage is supposed to be. They are, they are pointless in terms of what God has designed marriage to be. Well, as I said, uh, this is not, you know, this scripture is addressed to all of us, not just to, to those of us who are married. If you're single and you're here today, then I hope you have gained some perspective perhaps on marriage and, and what is involved. And it may be that you do not wish to be married. It may be that uh, you have no plans to be married and that you do not want to be married. That is a fine and healthy position to take. I pray and hope that you never get from, from uh, what happens here at REC that uncomfortable pressure that I know sometimes people can put on young people to get married uh, when they don't want to. If you don't want to get married, that is a, a, a good and a godly thing and Paul talks about that in, I think, 1 Corinthians. Uh, hopefully that has given you a sense of some of the issues that are the people around you are dealing with. Can I encourage you, if you are single, to support and pray for the people around you? To support and pray for the marriages around you. It is, uh, it is for the health of your friends, the spiritual health of your friends. It's the spiritual health of your church. Uh, 
It may be, however, you're single and would at some point like to be married at some point in the future. Uh, Hopefully, this message and this uh, instruction here has formed part of your preparation for what is an enormous reorientation in your life. Okay? When you're married, you're no longer caring primarily for yourself. You're now caring and loving primarily somebody else. And you do need to prepare. Many marital difficulties in Christian marriages, in any marriages, occur well before the marriage has actually taken place. And they occur in how people choose their partners, how they prepare for, with those partners to be married beforehand. If you are Christian, marry a Christian. Okay? This is not some weird cult thing. Uh, this is not some strange thing I'm telling you whatever. It's what it says in the Bible. Okay? It's a command from God. If you're a Christian, marry a Christian. How do you find that person? Let me quote uh, our pastor uh, from the Cayman Islands, Thabiti, here, with his advice, which I think is very useful. That is that if you are thinking of being married as a Christian, run towards Christ as hard as you can. And then look left and right and see who is running with you. Those are the people you should think about marrying. Talk to those people around you who are already married. Talk to the brothers and sisters here who are already in those marriages. Talk to the brothers and sisters here who have perhaps lost their spouse, who are perhaps widowed or are widowers. They will prepare you for married life in a way far better than the self-help books ever will. I wish that someone would have taken the time to prepare me for marriage in that way. I really do. I cannot recommend it to you high enough. Spend time. Talk to those people around you. It will avoid a lot of pain. Trust me. And if you are here and you have had that devastation, that unique devastation of losing your spouse, do not please let your pain prevent you from teaching and advising those of us who are married and those preparing to be married. Your experience and your advice is absolutely peerless and of enormous value. Please make sure that you share it with us. But what if your spouse is not fulfilling that command? What if uh, your spouse is not doing their bit as far as this goes this is not, these commands are not reciprocal, it's not do that if they do it and they do their bit and vice versa, this is very hard stuff uh, I don't think for either wives or husbands these commands come naturally I don't think that this is something they would naturally want to do so it is hard and so uh, from time to time spouses will fall way short of this mark, please remember that it is Jesus who is our model. He submitted to the authority of those who misused it. He submitted to a judge who was biased. He submitted to rulers who were inept. He submitted to soldiers who did not defend the weak. And he need not have done. Bear in mind, he's a guy who could have called ten legions of angels whenever he wanted to. But he still chose to submit. 
And bear in mind, he also loved those who were not submitting to God. He also loved perfectly and at enormous sacrifice those who were not submitting to God. Us. He sacrificed himself for us even though we do not submit to God. Do you want to know what it is to love your wife? Look at Christ and follow his example, how he loved others, loving them in a self-sacrificial way. Do you want to know what it means to best to submit to your husband? Look at Christ and his example as he perfectly submits to God the Father, bringing glory to both of them. These are both high, radical callings. But remember what we've heard from chapters 1 to 3. Equip yourself with that understanding of God. That will serve you incredibly well if as a husband or a wife you are seeking to do this. If marriage is a picture of Christ and his church, then when we turn our back on these commands, we lie about who Christ is. I believe that it is a critical element of revival in our country, or whether you're talking about Rotherham, or whether you're talking about our church, it is critical how our marriages mirror this. That is why Satan attacks marriages, he's attacked every marriage from the garden onwards. People see the difference. People see the difference when they see marriages worked out in this way. And that is why we have to fight for the, for the marriages that we know, for our own marriages and the marriages of the people around us. That is why we have to do our best to follow these instructions. That's why we have to support our marriages here in our church, whether we are married or single or widowed or whatever it is. That's why we have to pray for our marriages. We pray so that everyone may see the love Christ has for us all. Let's pray together.